You are listening to the teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Walk. This six-week series through the book of Jude looks at seven pursuits vital to the Christian's life and forward progress in their faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. The more I meet people, the more I kind of hear about their story and really their experience growing up, the more I realize how many people grew up in a church uh, where the gospel uh, was assumed and morality was essential teaching. And what I mean by that is that it, um, what was central about that church wasn't that, okay, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about what he's done for us, we're going to talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about the fact that we have no hope outside of him, that it's not good and bad, it's, it's about Jesus. And, uh, and the, but so the focal point, though, wasn't Jesus. The focal point was um, some code of conduct, uh, some list of behaviors, some do's and don'ts. And so it's like, I went to VBS, uh, you know, I, I know that God hates liars. I mean, even sang a song about it. And uh, I, know that, uh, I know that true love waits. You know, I, I've seen all the, the documentaries about that. I've seen that, you know, the stories, you know, where the guy comes up and he holds up a rose and he passes around the rose to the, the audience and it gets trampled and it gets, you know, all messed up. And at the end of it all, he brings the rose back up and he would say, okay, now who uh, wants this rose? And the point of the story is like, well, nobody would want this rose except the fact that God wants that rose, that God died for that rose, that, God, that that's what the gospel is, that's what grace is, and, but it becomes about a code of conduct that I shouldn't drink beer, I shouldn't use bad language, I shouldn't watch rated R movies unless they're about Jesus, and so we've not, uh, so none of that, and I grew up in that, and a lot of people grew up in that, and I get that the gospel is going to offend people, but what's sad is that millions and millions of people have uh, have left uh, the church, uh, not because that they didn't like Jesus or not because they were offended by the gospel, but because they, 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 were, they felt that the church had rejected them and they felt like, well, I can't live up to this code of conduct that the church has put out, so I can't be a part of that. Uh, or actually, with some people, though, I mean, so that's some people's stories. I, they realize they couldn't live up to the standard, so they're like, well, the, I'm rejected by all this, and so I can't be a part. Uh, other people, uh, amazingly, and with like great uh, feats of amazing discipline, were able to live up to this code of conduct, but you let something bad happen to us. Uh, you let uh, me get divorced. Uh, you let someone break my heart. You let my kids get sick. You let me not get the job I want. You let me not get in the school I want. And our mindset is about God. Is God, I was good, and this is how you were paying me. I mean, I was good. I didn't, I didn't go to the parties in high school. You know, when my friends saw Terminator 2, I didn't go. I mean, I didn't do any of the things that I wasn't supposed to do, and I feel like I did all the things I was supposed to do. And so, God, you owe me. And what breaks my heart is that there is a whole generation of people who were sold the line, this is how you put God into your debt. This is how you get God to owe you. And it didn't work for them because, well, because that's not who God is. That's not who we, how we relate to the creator of the universe. There is, no, there is no work that we can do. There's no effort that we can do. There's no money. There's no volunteer hours. There's, there's nothing that we can do to ever, ever do anything to deserve what God in his mercy has decided to treat us. And so there's a whole generation of people who left the church just supremely disappointed. There is a whole field of skeptics. There are a whole field of doubters. And maybe, uh, maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus and the whole church deal. I mean, you're here, but you know, maybe you just want your kids to have a positive experience. And 
uh, or maybe, you know, you just feel guilty and this is, you know, kind of your best way to relieve guilt. And I just want to say that, A, I'm glad that you're here. Um, you are a big reason uh, why we exist. Uh, we're not interested in propping up some moralistic religious system, but we want to rally around the person and work of Jesus. That's what we mean by the gospel. So when we throw out that word, the gospel, what we're really saying is a summation of who Jesus is and what he's done. And when we do that, if we rally around Jesus and we constantly, constantly, constantly remind ourselves that we all need grace, that we all need mercy, that no one's arrived, that there, there is no effort that we can add to what Jesus has done, what that tends to do, it tends to uh, uh, propel us into uh, being merciful to other people and that we don't have to uh, feel this obligation to make sure that people behave, but we can be okay with people uh, who don't behave. We can be okay with people who don't live up to uh, a code of conduct. Uh, we can be okay with people as they come in amongst us and wrestle with their doubts. And so if you're new, we're not here, we're not here saying, hey, look, come be like us. That's not our message. Our message is, hey, come meet Jesus. Come, come meet him. See what he's like. Um, we, we don't want to talk about side issue. We don't want to talk about... Um, uh, some issue of morality that seems to have the headlines. But what we want to do is say, hey, what do you think of Jesus? Who is he and what has he done? And let him into your life. Let him save and transform you. And just to say, I mean, you're so, you can be here. You can wrestle with your doubts. You can be honest about where you're really at based upon either your bad experience, that's why you doubt, or based upon no experience. Um, and that's really the driving force of what we want to talk about today from Jude. Because Jude 22 says, Show mercy to doubters. Show mercy to doubters. And before we want to get into mercy and kind of unpacking what does it mean to be merciful, more importantly, how do we be merciful? just want to say that Jude, uh, this writer of this letter to the early church, and really a lot of the other writers as well in the New Testament, New Testament they assume that there's going to be doubters among us. And that's really important to understand, uh, especially if you're uh, a Christian that you need to understand that, that, that the gospel writers, that the New Testament writers assume that there would be people among us who doubt. Who don't have everything lined up theologically. Uh, who don't have all that. Who don't know how to speak. Who don't know how to, uh, uh, they don't know how to act. And uh, I, I, what I've learned as a pastor, as really just a leader of just people. I mean, it's probably more general than being a pastor. Is that whatever you make space for as a church, you'll get. Meaning like if you make space, like if your driving force is to reach one group of people and that's how you speak and that's how you talk and that's how you act, that's generally what you're going to get. Um, and uh, so if, you, if, you're, if your speech is inclusive, if your actions, if the way you respond, if the group, if the organization, if the people, if the community is acts in such a way that it assumes that doubters will be amongst them, then you'll have doubters amongst you. If you act as though and talk as though and, and live as though that you don't have room in your life for that, well, then you probably won't have that. And you could, I mean, you could just go on and on about this. It's, it has to do with, you know, race, age, all kinds of different things, whether you're diverse, not diverse. I mean, just all the way that you act is basically who you're going to get. And so it's really, really important to understand that, uh, Christians, that, that if we want to be this like New Testament community. We want to be this, like, yeah, we want to have doubters among us. We want to be that's exciting. Yeah, we want to do that. Well, it involves saying, okay, I want to live in such a way, I want to act in such a way that we are going to make a lot of space for those who doubt. 
uh, so that they feel welcome. Because the reality is, and it's, it happens very, very quickly, there's, a, there's this massive, massive tendency for the church. The gravitational pull for, for any church, for any really organization for that matter, is to grow inward on itself. And it happens very, very quickly. I mean, the church, when you read about the early church in Acts, I mean, they were just lightning going for it, reaching people, thousands of people being added. And within a few short years, um, a group of believers within the church started to make it about themselves, and they established this code of conduct. And so there was this religious group that was basically saying, well, yeah, you can be a Christian, but in order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. So if you ever wondered, like, why, you know, the church lacks men, it's like, that's the reason why. It's because it's like, you know, you're out in the car, honey, why don't you go into membership? I'll stay here. And, uh, but it happens very, it happens early, it happens to us. It just, the, the pull is to go inside. And, uh, and if, and so what I want to talk today about is I want to talk about, hey, let's, let's have mercy toward doubters. Let's have mercy toward people who don't have all their questions answered. Let's be, have mercy toward people uh, who don't have everything figured out. And by the way, if you are a doubter this morning, uh, this is like the perfect Sunday to be here because I'm just going to like take behind the scenes and just talk about, you're going to sit in the second row, kind of hear how we want to do things. And so this is a great Sunday that you're here. I'm glad you're with us. So what's that? So with that said, what do we mean by showing mercy? And then more significantly, how do we do that? Well, number one, just really to show mercy is to be compassionate. And a basic definition is to be compassionate. Um, it means to relieve the distress of another. Uh, it means to redirect possibly a negative consequence um, that maybe they deserved or someone deserved. It means to have mercy. So like back in school, I would regularly go to my professors and ask for mercy. I mean, I knew I deserved the grade that I did, had. So I wasn't going there. My line wasn't give me what I deserve because I got what I deserve. I wanted what I didn't deserve. I wanted, I wanted mercy. And that's one of the great things about God and David uh, in Psalms 103 says that one of the benefits of being in a relationship with Jesus is he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve death. Sin is, deserves uh, a death. But what Jesus said is that through a relationship with me, you don't get death, you get mercy. You get mercy. If you watch pretty much any cop drama... Um, undoubtedly, there will always be this scene, typically like in the last five minutes of the show or the movie, and there's like the good cop, bad cop chase, and the good cop, the, or excuse me, good cop, bad person chase, good guy, bad guy, whatever, may not be a cop. But, um, and, you know, and it's not just that the bad guy being chased um, is, uh, had done something wrong, but it's somehow personal between the two. You know what I'm saying? It's like this personal. And so like you're, you're into this drama of this, this good guy chasing the bad guy. And it always, you know, they fight for a little bit. But there's always this moment toward the end of the show where the good guy is standing over the bad guy. It's personal. And there's this kind of tension that you feel. You kind of want the guy to get what he deserves because you relate to it. But at the same time, you're kind of also, he's the hero. You want him to, you want him to show mercy. And most of the time... You know, it's, they, they show mercy. It's like, um, you deserve this. I, you know, I owe this to you. And then it's like, are they, are they going to get justice or are they going to get mercy? I was watching um, The Princess Bride with my kids the other day. And, uh, 
And um, there, it's a pretty good movie. There's only, there's only the only part in the movie that's kind of questionable, at least for young kids. It's the part. It's the same part. It's the it, it's toward the end of the movie, uh, and uh, Aniga, Aniga, Indigo Montoya, he's standing over the six fingered man, and he's like, he tells the six fingered man, "Hey, promise me the world. Promise me money. Promise me all these different things." And says he promises them, and he said, and, you know, he goes, he goes, you know, I promise you these things if you don't kill me. And he says, I want my father back, you know, prepare to die, and runs a sword through him. He gives him justice. And, but God, God is a God who, in the same way, the way we treated his son, the way we've treated him, the way we've hated him, every, you know, everybody's wondering how this is going to, uh, how this is going to work out, you know, is, is he going to get justice, is he going to get mercy? And standing over us, we get mercy. But it doesn't, it isn't that justice isn't served either. That's the great thing about the cross. Is that the cross, in the cross, that God gets justice, but he's able to give us mercy. Jesus gets the justice. He gets what we deserve. He didn't sin. He, get, he, gets, he, gets, he, gets, he gets our justice, and we get his mercy. And that's the great thing about the cross. And that way we can be merciful to other people. We don't have to feel like we have to exact God's justice. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament as well. So it says like this in Romans 12, for example, Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, don't avenge yourself. Justice is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Hey, God's, God's going to make every wrong right. We don't have to feel like we have to go around making sure that everyone does what they're supposed to do. We can be merciful. We can be gracious. And when you think of mercy, because I, um, I, I think we get some of the concepts that I've been talking about so far. When you think of mercy, though, I want to I take your understanding of mercy beyond this kind of reactive thing and, and understand that it's, it's much, much bigger than that. It's not just this reactive thing. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, if I was ever standing over someone and I had the opportunity to kill them and they deserved it, I probably would show them mercy. Like if you get into the situation, you're going to show them mercy. But with the way the Bible paints mercy, it's not just a reactive thing. It's a proactive thing. Uh, one of the, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, these, these accounts, uh, these handwritten accounts of of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Over and over again, you'll see things like, you know, and filled with compassion. That word compassion can be mercy. Filled with compassion, filled with mercy. He healed people. He, he helped people. He fed people. He loved people. He gave to people. He did all these things because of mercy. He was proactive in sharing his mercy. Even think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is that, um, it's a story that Jesus tells about this man who, um, goes to the wrong side of town, and he gets mugged and, and beaten and left for dead. And these two guys, these two kind of religious guys, come by, and they walk past him. And to be honest with you, you can kind of understand this, because to, for them to stop would have been very expensive, it would have been very time-consuming, and it would have been at the risk of their own lives. It would have been like a big deal to stop. But then there's this one good Samaritan who, who gets off his steed, who gets off his donkey. And he, sa- you know, and, he, and, he t- and he takes the time and he spends the money and he risks his life to show mercy 
to this man. And it's this picture of how God has treated us, that he took the time, he took the money, he took the expense, he took the risk, not just the risk, he actually gave his life for us. It's just saying that this is, this is the kind of mercy that God calls us to, this kind of mercy that is proactive and not just reactive. It's actually looking to, to give people not what they deserve, but what they don't deserve. At the risk of our lives, it's very expensive, very time-consuming. And that's what God's called us to do. He calls us uh, to that kind of mercy. Because our first instinct is when we come across a problem is, is those kinds of things. Well, I would love to do it, but I don't have the time. I'd love to do it, but I don't have the money. I'd love to do it, but, I, but this and but that. But God's saying, look, I want you to position yourselves to show mercy to people who don't yet believe and who don't yet have their ducks in a row theologically, who don't know how to behave like a Christian. And so we believe that the church should be that place, that where doubters are not squeezed out of our services, where doubters are not squeezed out of our church, but they're welcomed into us. And uh, all throughout the Bible, one of the big calls, one of the big themes of the Bible is God coming to his people and reminding him that he wants us to be a people of mercy, to continue to, to show mercy to people who don't yet belong. In fact, in Isaiah, he comes to him. He's like, man, I'm tired of your services. I'm tired of you coming in here every week, singing songs, raising your hands. Uh, I'm tired of you just kind of going through your routine, but lacking mercy for the outsider. You come in, you come out, you do your thing. There's, no, there's nothing in your heart that just wants to reach out to those who are not yet apart. This is really clear in Ezekiel 34, where he basically blasts church folk for being inward focused. Let me show you this verse. Ezekiel 34, 18. He's, he's using the sheep analogy um, to describe us. And he says, Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? So here's what it's saying. It's saying like, what you're doing is you're coming into this place and you're either directly or indirectly demanding that you, that resources come your way. That, that the way the church, the church is somehow bent around your preferences. So much so that you're just kind of squeezing out the, the immature amongst you. You're, you're squeezing out the doubters amongst you. You're, you're taking all the food and you're muddying the water. It's, it's, it's not enough for you that you just come and you get enriched and you get envisioned and you get encouraged and you get equipped. But actually, the way you're going about doing things is you're elbowing out the weak sheep. And then he makes it more clear in verse 21. It says, Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. And if you pay it any attention at all to the uh, church scene in America, the American, I mean, this has happened. The, the scattering of lost sheep. And there, there's tons and tons of people who've never even experienced church yet, but there are people who have, who've tried to come into the church and they've come into, an ex, into a church thing and it was just codes of conducts and religion and just kind of like, I can't fit up to this and they just got elbowed out and they've been scattered abroad. Now, the good news is, as you read on in this passage, is that God's heart uh, wasn't content for its sheep to be scattered. But he says, he made this vow, I will go and I will gather them. And what he does is he taps, he's tapping churches, he's tapping Christians on the shoulder and saying, hey, will you go 
and come on the search you and rescue with mission with me? Will you go and will you, will you go and reach people? Will you go, will you, will you be a community? Will you be a, 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 an individual who doesn't, it doesn't have to be about you, where you just don't go about your life and, and you know, everything's about you, your, day, your Monday through Friday's about you, your weekend's about you, your money's about you, your time is about you. You're just elbowing people out of the way. You've received mercy, but you're not willing to proactively give mercy. And God's like, I'm, I'm calling people to do that. And we, and we believe um, that we're called to be that kind of church. Uh, we believe that everyone spends an eternity somewhere. Uh, we believe that Jesus is the hope for people. We believe that the church is the, is the vehicle for, um, for communicating that message. So a lot is at stake. So I wanted to spend our, the rest of our time just giving us three ways, three simple ways, how we can show mercy to doubters. Um, and they're not new, so don't expect to be blown away here. Um, number one, invite someone to a Sunday service. Invite someone to a Sunday service. And not because necessarily like, okay, we need more people here. Or not even because, not even because that if they come here, their, their life might be changed. I mean, those are like good reason. I mean, the, that, that's a good reason. It's a good reason to invite someone so their life can be changed. That's a way we can show mercy. But I want to I I give you another reason. Because I think what's more important than one individual is how we choose and decide to carry ourselves as a community going forward. You need to invite someone at least once a year, so that you can see what we do through their eyes. If you want to be a person who shows mercy on doubters, you must have their perspective. And the best way to have their perspective is to invite one that you care about. Because through the whole service, you'll be sitting there thinking like, I wonder what they think about this. I wonder what they think about that. How does this work? How does it? And, you'll, and you'll get it. I mean, I could preach a million sermons on why this is important that we do certain things. But I tell you what, the best thing you can do is invite someone. And it all makes sense to you. I was talking to someone recently. And uh, they're like, Brian, you know what you said was great and all. And they, they had, had a, uh, several people there at this, new to this environment. They're like, Brian, what you said was great at all, but I just, I'm just not sure my friends were tracking with the vernacular you were using then. I was like, thank you so much. I mean, that's the kind of complaint, if you will, that I love. You know, helping me, but helping you to see this, to see what it's like. Um, you know, some people are just like, you know, I wish we would worship longer. I wish, you know, I wish worship was longer. I wish we did this. I wish we did that. And, and then they bring someone and about 20 minutes in, they're thinking like, I wonder what my friend's thinking about this. I wonder, you know, because, you know, you know, do they get the word? I mean, they've never sang. They, these are all new songs to them. And do they get what, you know, the transition, do they get the words? Do they, get, do they understand what's happening? Do they understand what Brian's talking about? Do they how they get all on J kids? Is, is it if I if I send my if I send my friend back there with their kids, are they going to feel safe back there? What about is anyone interacting with them? Are they just kind of off by themselves? I wish someone would come up and talk to them. All these things, all this perspective happens when you invite someone. You will be it will be so difficult for you to really be a part of 
a church that shows mercy to doubters until you see things from their perspective. You see, mercy and compassion really means to empathize. It means to see things from their perspective. Um, that's why it's, the writer of Hebrews says in, in, um, in Hebrews 4, it says, it says that we can have confidence. You know, when we're, when, we're, when, we're, uh, when we're in trouble, when we're in dark times, when we've sinned, when we've messed up, we can have confidence that we can go to God with our sin and we can go quickly to the throne of grace because he sympathizes. We know we'll get mercy because he understands where I'm at. Because he's been through where I'm at. He underst- he, we've had dark times. We've never, no one in the face of the earth has ever had a darkest time as Jesus did on the cross Physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. Eternal separation. We have, because we, we, he sympathizes. We need to be able to sympathize. We need to be able to empathize with doubters. The only way we're going to be a church, and the only way you're going to be an individual who shows mercy on doubters, if you can see things from their perspective. And I think you've got to invite someone at least once a year. Now, I know that that's um, scary, and I know that's difficult. I mean, I'm putting my reputation on the line, and how does that work? And um, I don't want you to be afraid of that, because I think at, at, at one point they'll thank you. And let me just, actually, let me show you this story in uh, John 1. I think it's helpful. For those of us who kind of like, you know, we, we try to invite people, but they, you know, they don't always respond well. Can we get this on the screen? Okay. So what happened here is, is Jesus had come to this guy, Philip, and he said, hey, why don't you come with me? And Philip's like, that's great. That's exciting. I want to do that. But hey, can I just invite someone? Jesus is like, sure, go ahead. So it says, Philip found Nathaniel, his friend, and said to him, we have found him. Uh, we found him of Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he said, hey, look, they've been waiting for this Messiah. I got exciting news. This is great. You're going to love it. You know, come to my church. It's amazing. You're going to have a great time. Well, how does Nathaniel answer? Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Kind of like, oops. Um, it's like, where does the conversation go from there? So, you know, it's like, you know, you ask your friend, you know, like, hey, why don't you come to church? You're like, you know, I don't. I don't believe in that. You know, how could you say that? You know, I don't believe in absolute. I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't, that's people who, you know, that's great for you. You know, people who need a crutch. I mean, you go to church, you have a good, you, you do that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, just to convert, he goes, he didn't know how to answer that question. He, he hadn't even really been there that long himself. He was just excited about it. He couldn't answer his question. Well, how does he answer the question? Philip said, come and see. And I think that's one of the things that we can do. We don't have to answer all their questions. We may not be able to answer all their questions. You may even say, you know what, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not a history guy. I don't know if there's anything good coming out of Nazareth. But I know Jesus, and you might like him. Come on. Find out. Come and see. So they may have good questions, and you may not be able to answer, and that's fine. You don't have to. So yeah, come and see. And the hope is, is when they get here, they'll find a, a community who is waiting for them, who's welcoming them, who's making space for them, who says, you're exactly where you need to be. This isn't a place for people who have it all together. This is a place where there's mercy shown to those who believe and those who don't believe, because that's how God has treated us.
you know, one of the and here I'll give you a little bit of confidence. One of the most common feedback that we get uh, here is that they 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 think that there's it's a place of warmth, friendliness, it's non-judgmental. There's been enough people here who know understand the perspective of the doubter that they do come and they do have a good experience. And at the end of the day, I just want to encourage you to be bold in your inviting. Second thing you can do is you can volunteer and serve. Showing mercy, I think inviting people gives you the perspective. Volunteering and serving is a little bit more direct. When every Sunday I get here about 45 minutes to an hour before the service starts, and I am by far, I am by far from, I'm not even, excuse me, let me say it this way. I'm not anywhere near the first person who's here. I mean, there's, there's people who, I mean, the band, J-Kids, people, um, people getting things set up. Caught, just people are here getting ready, serving, hospitality teams getting ready, volunteers teams getting ready. And I just want to hug them all because of, not just because of the difference that they're making in my life, which they are, and in my kids' life, and the, not just all of us, but they are playing a role in showing mercy to doubters. And our volunteers does do such a great job that I don't necessarily think that we absolutely need more volunteers, but I think for us to be a church to show mercy to doubters, meaning like not just there's a select few who do it, but like we all do this together, I think you have to be serving. And I get that you're busy, and, um, but let me ask you a question. Do you know who teaches your kids? Do you know who serves you coffee? Do you know who greets you at the door? Do you know who welcomes you, who puts out bulletins, who does graphic design. You know who does all this? Very busy people. Very busy people do this. And I don't want that to get in your way. Remember, the Good Samaritan, at great expense, at great cost, at great, uh, very time-consuming, God is calling us not just to be reactively merciful. Yeah, like I won't hit the kill switch, you know, if I'm the governor, you know, if I'm at, the, at that place. I won't do that. But will you be proactively merciful? Will you be proactively merciful? And maybe you need to volunteer in a place that you've not been before. I know that sounds a little like Star Trek, but like, you know, just like, like you're not used to doing that. And listen, I, 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 there's no one here that could say, like, that the people that you would serve deserve it. I don't know that I could say that. Because in our mind, it's like, well, this is, this is how, this is the best, this is, this is, I need to give my time over here. And what I'm talking about here isn't giving people what they deserve. I'm talking about giving people what they don't deserve. They may not deserve your time. That's not the point. The point is to be merciful. It's to be merciful to doubters. And I'm, just, I'm just so grateful for people who who do that. And there's freedom here, and that's what I want to say. There's freedom here to say no. I mean, no one's going to call you on the phone and hound you until you say yes. There's freedom to say no. But if you want an opportunity to show mercy, mercy to doubters, if you want an opportunity, I mean, you can, I mean, especially men in, in kids, J-kids, I mean, there's so many little girls, little boys back there who do not have a father in their life. And I, I so appreciate the men who will, you know, get down on the floor, eyeball to eyeball, to show mercy 
with these kids. To, to have an anchor dropped in their heart who, who maybe don't, who doubt that there's any man who would care about them, who would doubt that if there is a God up there, he must not care about me. You have an opportunity to show mercy to someone who doubts. If you want to be that person, if you want to be a part of a church that shows mercy to doubters, it's not enough for you to sit in a chair and cheer everybody else on why they do that. You need to do that for you, not for us. Not for me. God's tapping people on the shoulder all over the world to do this. God doesn't need you. He wants to invite you into that. He wants you to have that opportunity. Another way to show mercy, last one here, is to be generous. Giving money is not a law requirement. It's not a way to earn God's love or approval. But it's an opportunity to show Mercy to doubters. The church is, an un- is, the, is, the, is unique it's in a lot of ways, but one of the ways it's unique, it's the only organization in the world whose primary benefit is not members, but non-members. It's, you don't join the church for the benefits that come to you, although there are some. The primary reason why you get behind what the church is doing is the benefit for those who don't belong, who aren't yet a part, who don't even want to be a part. <laughs> and that's expensive. Over the past 18 months, we've baptized 49 people, 49 people who've had their forevers altered, and it happened because of generosity. I could kind of pull you behind the scenes a little bit. It's a lot, it's a lot better for financially if, we, if our, like our target is other Christians. If we target other Christians, you know, it's like you know, instant giving. People who doubt, they come in, they, get, they still have all kinds of questions and doubts. It's not like they get saved and, oh, I get it all now. It's a process. It's expensive. And our hope as a church isn't just to meet budget and keep the lights on, but to continue to extend more and more and more and more out, to plant more and more churches in St. Louis and around. It's going to take a lot of money. And here's the good news. It's in the bank. It's just in your bank. And I'm, one of the ways that you can show mercy to doubters is to not just emotionally give a few dollars here and there, but to be like, I'm going to be into this. I'm going to proactively show mercy to other people. Again, we're talking about what people don't deserve, not what they deserve. Because as soon as you start thinking about, well, what's the best use, you know, you're talking about giving people mercy. How could you do that? Well, you could be generous. You could systematically give. You can make it a percentage. You can do auto. You can do, you could do all that. Giving 1.0 is, um, I call it, um, you could call it, um, not prevention giving, but um, giving 1.0 is, is kind of a, this kind of emotional type giving it's, you know, so, what, so someone like me stands up and, like, makes this appeal. 
You know, there's starving children. There's some, there's tornado victims. It's emotionally charged. It's very exciting. And this type of giving is great. And it's good to do that. It's like we'll give to a cause. Uh, and, and that's giving 1.0. And maybe that's where you're at. And that's awesome. But I would encourage you that giving 2.0 is even better. Giving 2.0 is what changes the world. It's when you decide to be committed to something financially. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to plow in money into this on an ongoing basis. Where you decide to be a percentage giver. Giving 1.0 is intervention giving. So there's a problem. You know, you, you fix it. You give to it. I want to solve that problem. Uh, giving 2.0 is prevention giving. It's giving so that the problem doesn't exist in the first place. So giving 1.0 is what you give so that there's a child finds a foster home. That's a good thing. Giving 2.0 is giving so that families stay strong so there's not foster children in the first place. Giving 1.0 is, you know, like to, you know, to may help someone uh, go through drug rehab. Giving 2.0 is giving into something that floods people with purpose, with identity, with community to prevent them from going on a track in person. I can't tell you how many, there's people here who aren't in some back alley this morning because they're a part of this. Because of giving 2.0. There are marriages that haven't gone south to divorce because of giving 2.0. And I want to encourage you not just to give to crisis and to problems, and to, but to say, no, I want to give into this thing over and over because I want to show mercy to those who doubt. And as I close here, I just want you to remember back when you were a doubter. What helped you? What got you through? What would you, what would you then want to say to yourself now? To, to, have, to be a part of a community who's patient with you, who loves you, who makes space for you, who spends a lot of time and money to make sure that that is the case. I just want to encourage us as well, to continue to look to Jesus. Jesus who, he did not have to come to us. It was very time consuming. It was very expensive. And it cost him his life. But he showed mercy to us. He was the only one who could show mercy to us. And the truth of the matter is, there are people that are in our spheres of influence and are in our networks of relationship that really God is the one who's chosen you to make a difference in their life. And you may be the closest thing to Jesus that they'll ever experience. And us together as a community may be the only thing that they experience about the love of God. And so it's so important, if we're going to continue to be a church that's not insider-focused, but outsider-focused, that shows mercy to those who doubt, that is like our Savior. It says in Matthew 12 that he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. He won't do that. He shows mercy. He gives time. He gives patience. We want to be that community. And it takes us all, I think, doing those things. Inviting to have perspective. Volunteering, showing mercy. uh, Giving, 
showing mercy. Why don't you get out your card if I can get the band to come up?